Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 we get to look at this morning. And this is kind of a final statement or a concluding statement to what Paul has been speaking about here in this brief letter to the Colossians and summarizes the various commands up to this point. I'll have some some additional ones in a domestic kind of situation that we'll look at look at in the weeks to come. And yet here he really summarizes what is the mandate for a Christian personally. We have a mandate, a, a, a great commission in Matthew 28, but as it pertains to us individually, it, it even uh, caps or, or embellishes or, or builds upon what Jesus commands us specifically in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples and so forth, but more comprehensive in its nature here. What, how ought we to live? Now, we, we want to make disciples, everybody, but how ought we to live in light of what Christ has done for us? This is a comprehensive command. Now, we, and in fact, if you're in a daily Bible reading schedule at some point come March or April, you'll be reading in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that is a list of, you know, a codified, codified list of rules and regulations. This is what you must do to be part of a, the covenant community Israel and, and these kinds of things. Thankfully, we don't have that kind of a covenant. In fact, we'll see it how, how Paul say, states it here, but in other respects, Jesus summarizes our mandate our marching orders in this life are twofold. Oops, sorry, there's a thumb. Twofold, that is to love God and to love others. And it could be summarized even more specifically to love. Romans 13 says, uh, don't be indebted to any man, but love uh, each one. Show love to each one of us. Show kindness. We saw that back in verse 12 of Colossians 3. He says as a comprehensive, exhaustive goal in your life, this is what it is in verse 17. Let me read verse 15 through 17, and then we'll look at verse 17 specifically. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. Whatever you do in word or deed, wait a minute, Is are you sure you want to go that far, Jesus? God, do you want that much of our lives? Can't we just, you know, there's an old Keith Green song, God wants more than your, your Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. He wants your whole life. He wants all aspects of your life, everything you do, whatever you do, all of whatever you do, not just a few specific events, not just a, a token representation. You know, I am Jesus' servant, and yet we're over here serving ourselves, serving the the uh, the world, serving all these things, loving the world. God says, if you love the world, then you have no love of me in that thing. If you go after the world and what it offers, forsaking what I offer to you, no. I will not allow that. God is a jealous God. He wants no other God in our lives, no other idol, no other means of satisfaction, no other center of our lives, no place of origin or identity. When we think of ourselves, who am I? I'm a Christian. Who am I? Well, other people would say, I'm an American. I'm a single bachelor. I'm a, uh, where is your identity? You know, I'm a Steelers fan or I'm a, uh, I can't even think of other teams because I don't follow that stuff. Or I am debt-free. Well, that's a good thing. You ought to be debt-free. But to find your identity in these things, albeit however good they might be, apart from Christ, it's nothing. 
Do you have an identity, an origin story based in Christ? You know, I was lost, but now I'm found in Christ. I was at enmity with God, but now I've been brought near. I've been reconciled to him. And because of that, not as a basis for that identity in Christ, but because of our new identity in Christ, now it changes how we live. It changes everything about us, whatever we do in word or deed. This is, as I said, an exhaustive statement. It's not giving us more specific commands, even those commands he's already given us about being you know, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility. Wait a minute. What? In what situation? I'm in this situation. How should I do? It depends. It depends how you, how you ought to be compassionate, how you ought to be kind, how you ought to be humble. It depends on the circumstances, the situation. It's not to say that our, our morality is somehow relative, but in some respects, the, the application of righteousness, our practical righteousness, does depend on the circumstance. You know how Solomon said it, uh, reprove or, or correct a, a fool, answer a fool according to his folly, but then don't answer a fool. You've got to know situationally how to minister the word of God. We can't just, wouldn't it be nice if you could just hand the Bible to somebody and then transformation. They're, they're a new person. Well, Thankfully, that is the work of Christ. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And yet we are being renewed and we are being renewed passively. The Holy Spirit is working in us. But also Romans 12 says, you be renewed in the spirit of God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed. And we have that hope that, that yes, we are saved. Yes, we are being saved. Yes, we will be saved. There's that multiple phase aspect, not not separate phases. And if you have one, you may not have the other two. Or if you have two, you might have the third. No, if you are saved, if you are justified, you will be being sanctified and you will be in the future day glorified. There is that chain of salvation that, that goes forward. And there are other components of that as we've looked at the order of salvation. But here we're looking at that sanctification piece. We're looking at if we are justified in Christ, if we are his then how are we to live? He says here, and, and whatever. He's given us other commands. I won't go back to read all these, all these uh, beginning even in verse, well, actually in the previous chapter, he says, um, don't let anyone uh, burglarize you or, or steal your prize uh, uh, by making you submit to false, false uh, righteousness and so forth. He says in verse 1, Seek, seek Christ, seek where he is, set your mind on things above and, and how that works itself out in our lives. He says as a capstone here before he launches into another kind of a, well, he gives a situational uh, application or he says, okay, wives, what should you do? Husbands, what should you? Children, parents, fathers specifically. And even in, in terms of uh, employee-employer relationship, we'll talk about slaves and masters there at the end of chapter three into chapter four. But as a as a summarizing statement here, he says, whatever you do, whatever do you do. In fact, he even says, all of whatever you do. So it's not just a small sampling of our lives, you know, a survey sample, which is, it's interesting how surveyors, surveyors, pollsters, I guess that's the right term, can extrapolate based on just a small sample size. This is what the whole country thinks based on this. God doesn't judge on that way. He says, I'm, a, I'm not looking at the small characteristics. I'm not looking at one aspect of your life. I'm looking at the whole thing. Are you in Christ? Are you growing? Are you loving Christ? Are you longing for his return? Are you oriented to him and, and you know to not listen to the voices that are, are 
like Romans 12, 1 and 2 say, that are, are trying to, to press you into its mold. You've heard that paraphrase, trying to conform you to the thinking of this world, temporal, under the sun, godless, anti-Christ thinking in this world. Don't be given to that. Be given to Christ's word. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, he says. Well, what does that mean? Whatever you do then, all of whatever you do, everything about your life, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whoa. Everything you do. Now, he, he gives specific examples here. Whatever you do in word or deed, we realize that our Christian character, our Christian testimony is twofold, at least here. We had to go deeper, but he's already gone deeper, right? He's already said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. He's already talked about the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. Therefore, as you are doing in this world, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As you are speaking, speak everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we think, we say, we do is for God's glory, not our own. Christian activity, the, the outworking of our life, must involve word and doing, word and conduct. We want both aspects of our lives to be in in harmony or in in, uh, in line with what God wants us to be and do in this world. Whatever we do, if there is any other way that Paul could have uh, nebulized or, or or just made this a comprehensive statement, I mean, he, this this he, there are different ways that he could have said it, but he he says it in the most most. Um, inclusive way possible, not inclusive in terms of racial things. We already saw that back in verse 11. There's no distinction between this and that and the other thing. We're all one in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And yet inclusive in the sense of every aspect of our life, every possible situation, every possible circumstance. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Yes, everything you do, personally, corporately, in the workplace, in the home, on the highway, uh, wherever you are, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just had control or or hegemony or authority over just Sunday mornings, and even more specifically, between the hours of 9 and noon? And so when noon hits, and sometimes, you know, people are looking at the watch and saying, I got the roast in the oven and all this kind of thing. God does not just want 9 till noon on a Sunday morning. He wants 24-7. 365 plus a quarter of a day, right? Because there's leap days and all. He wants every aspect. He owns us. Now to say, well, why does God own us? I mean, because he created us, for one. We owe him our allegiance as as his creation. And yet so many turn aside to him. But doubly fold, those who are in Christ have been bought with a price. And not just silver and gold. Or, or I, there was a goat that my uncle so-and-so sacrificed on my behalf, so I have life. Christ died for our sins, my sins, your sins, if you're in him. Do you find your identity in him? Do you say, whoa, I have been bought with not just a small price, but the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go and and sin some more. I'm going to go and engage in this. I know it's not pleasing to God, but hey, the blood of Christ covers it, right? Romans 6 says, shouldn't, and it says it in quotes kind of thing, uh, there are those who would say, if God's grace is magnified in my sin, then man, I'm going to sin some more. So God's grace, this is magnificent grace, can be made more resplendent and, 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 and set apart. And Paul says, no. How can those who have died to sin still continue in it? We have died with Christ to those elementary principles of the world. We are crucified with Christ, he says elsewhere. And so we ought to live differently. Whatever we do in word or in deed, the word here is so important. 
it's not enough just for us to live a Christian life. It's not enough for us just to live differently. We've got to speak. We've got to speak God's word. We've got to insert his his perspective into this dark world, this anti-God, anti-Christ world. The truth of the gospel is what we what we speak about. And not exclusively. We we you know, as we mentioned a few Sundays ago, I think the gospel is Jesus died. He he was buried, he rose again. He appeared to lots of different folks. But it's beyond that even. Who is this Christ? Messiah, Son of God, uh, virgin born, uh, the the Savior of the world. He's the mediator, mediator between God and man. Well, what's the deal? What's he dying for? Well, sin. So we, we're enlarging. Yes, the gospel is those three things, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it broadens out, includes the whole message of Scripture. God is, there is a God. We're not him. We are made by God. We're made in his image. We've rebelled against him both in Adam and then we've confirmed that in our own behavior. But Christ is the one who's died in our place. So the gospel, the truth that we speak, the word that we are speaking honors Christ. It always directs people toward Christ. He is the way that we have. We see that we're giving thanks to God the Father through Christ, through him. We want to be careful of other words. We've studied back in verse two of uh, chapter 2, verse 4, uh, being being on guard against persuasive argument, false argument, that we want to be watching out for those things that will delude us, will lead us astray, away from the beauty and, and supremacy of Christ himself. These things, verse 23 of chapter 2 says, it says these things have a, a word of wisdom or an appearance of wisdom, but they are empty, they are foolish, they are leading you astray from Christ. We want to be careful of, of abusive speech, Colossians 3 and verse 8 says, put these things, lay them aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't speak those things that don't build up one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Verse 16, it says, you know, Paul had a great burden. You think, well, Paul, you've done so much in your life. Why don't you take a break? Why don't you rest for now? He's, he's in prison, right? He's in prison in Rome. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 4, Pray for us that God will open us, open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I also have been bound. Pray that I'd be able to speak. You think, Paul, you're in prison because you've spoken. Why why do you take a break here? And you can read in Philippians about those who preach the, preach Christ out of enmity and strife and so forth. Paul says, I don't care if whatever their motives are, as long as Christ is preached, I'll rejoice in that and I will rejoice. He says in verse 6 of chapter 4, Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how you should answer each person. There are some examples in Ephesians. Just just look for the that word, word, in Ephesians, and you'll see, uh, I don't know, one, two, three, four, seven different examples of, of wise talk and foolish talk and how we ought to be careful in that. He says in every deed or every work that you you live out in this life, make sure you're doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know... We all do things. We all are characterized by action. You know, whenever we are not doing anything, we we you, either we're we're um, ill or dead or whichever. But we're always doing something. The problem is, apart from Christ, all of our works, even though they may look nice and fancy, they are dead works. They're unregenerate works. They are not commending our so- our souls to God. Colossians 1 and verse 21 says, Although you were formerly alienated, so separated from God, and enemies in mind and in evil deeds. Wait a minute. That was me? I thought I was doing good things. No, God, looking at it from his holy, perfect, righteous perspective, says, I see what you're trying to do, but it is it, it falls short. Every soul has fallen short of the glory of God. Glory of God. It, 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 we cannot do enough to impress God and say, 
for us to take notice. When God does take notice, it's not because of works, it's because faith. Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Job, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. Why? Because Job trusted in Yahweh, trusted in God's character, and was concerned lest he or any of his family would violate God's holiness in their conduct. There is the difficulty of unregenerate works that they cannot commend their souls to God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. I'll talk about that. We're justified not by works, but by grace through faith. But we're saved to good works. So we have kind of a love-hate relationship with works. First, we hate them because we think falsely that somehow our works can commend us to God. No, they can't. We have no basis in our works. We don't want God to base, to judge us based on our works. Guess what that would result in? Condemnation. Not God is not impressed with that. But works that follow justification, the works that we do, we do it imperfectly, we do it half-heartedly sometimes, and yet God in Christ receives that as work done to him. Jesus says, you've done whatever you do, and to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And that's that's so amazing that our works as a result of our salvation can have that kind of effect. We want to be careful against any kind of uh, impurity with greediness. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 9. We want to be careful of any practice that would be characteristic of our old lives or what is celebrated in the world. We want to, as Ephesians 5.11 says, not participate in the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. We want to lead people to the light, not the foolishness of, of darkness. Well, we have, as I mentioned before, not the unregenerate works, not the deeds of, of unrighteousness, but the deeds in Christ, our, our righteous or our Christian works, the good works that Christ has called us to. Do you remember back in Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul says, I want you, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. He says it elsewhere in various places, you know, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, unto good works, that uh, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. We want to be careful to do those good works that he has commanded us to do. And he, thankfully, this is, this is profound, he works in us to accomplish those things. Do you remember how Paul said it in Colossians 1.29? He said in verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So I'm striving. I'm doing all I can. Pray for me that I have more opportunities to share, but I'm so thankful. It's God's mighty power working within me for my own sake, for my own uh, comfort and encouragement and strengthening, but also opening up doors of, of opportunity and opening up blind and rebellious hearts. God is at work in our lives. We can see even in, in chapter 2 of Colossians that we have faith in the working of God. God is at work. He raised Christ from the dead. He is raising us. He's giving us new life as well. He says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is this idea of name? Well, this this is everything about Christ, everything about who he is and what he has done. It includes uh, everything, not just the name itself, as if, you know, Jesus, or you want to get really fancy and say it in Hebrew, Yeshua, or in Greek, and Yesu, or whatever, however you want to say it. It's not so much the name. It is who is the person behind the name. Now, the name is important. All the different names, Lord and Christ and Messiah and suffering servant, Lamb of God and Son of David. Wonderful. But they, what they do, each of those names, each of those titles, 
bring us out, bring out more of the person and work of who is this Jesus? Who is it in his character, in his nature, in his attributes, in his works, in his authority, in his power, in his quality? One of the key aspects of what Paul's been doing in this letter to the Colossians is magnifying Christ. Christ is all. He is in all. He is supreme over everything. Everything came into being through him. He is the head of the body of the church. All these wonderful things he has celebrated. So do everything in the name of this Lord Jesus. Everything we do represents or fulfills the honor that is due him, the reverence, the respect, the obedience. When Christ says, do this, and we say, well, I appreciate what you say, Jesus. Maybe I'll get around to that later. But right now, I'd like to wait a minute. No, that's not honoring. That's not doing everything in the name of Jesus. Yahweh, the first time we see perhaps, well, not the first time, but one of the times we see this celebration of Yahweh in his name is in Exodus 15. We looked at that last week in terms of the song of Moses and the great redemption that the people had at God's hand. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Yahweh is that one. And we think, oh, we can, sometimes we have, and we ought to have this, but sometimes we have too familiar of a um, kind of a cozy, sentimental relationship with God, but we don't realize he is a warrior. He is a consuming fire. He is holy God, creator of everything, judge, righteous judge. And we think, yeah, Jesus, and I, we're so close. We're just like this. I talk, you know, I'll, Do you have a fear of him? Do you have it as if uh, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever you're listening to on the radio, whenever you're driving, whenever you're talking to somebody, do you have the, the true knowledge, if you're in Christ, that you have his Holy Spirit indwelling you? What you're speaking, the Holy Spirit hears you speaking. And it's not even to say you need the Holy Spirit to, to do that, to, to, for him to hear. No, God knows everything. And not just what we, what we say. He is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, ah, I mean, does that frighten you? Does that, does that bring you to, to naught? Does that say, woe to me, for I am undone. I am wicked. If you look to Christ, if you want to grow in him, if you want to have a relationship with him, then we will do everything in his name. We will do everything to give honor to him. What is amazing here, we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give thanks. Because of all that, we give thanks to God the Father, because he's the one that makes this possible. He's the one that that is that has provided a salvation for us. He is the one who has changed us from being slaves of unrighteousness, those who were condemned, alienated, at enmity with God, he said, you look to Christ, I'll wipe all that out. I will blot away your sins. I will separate you or, or be, separate your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. I will cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. I will not go fishing, as various preachers have said. I will forget or forgive. I will remember. I will not remember these things against you. And we say, you know, thank you, God, for doing that. I'm going to go do some more of that right now. Is that okay? Can I go do some more of that sinning? Because you're, you're so good at forgiving. You're so generous and so gracious and that. Let me just go do some more things, not in Jesus' name. I'll come back to him in a little bit. But right now, I'd like to go and do what? You're going to sow to the flesh? What are you going to reap? Destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's not a sacrifice. For us to say, I'm suffering for the Lord here. I'm, I'm bearing my cross for Jesus. Really? By obeying what he said? Do you know his word is good? Do you know his commandments are not burdensome? Do you know that at his right hand are pleasures not just temporal, but forevermore? And we say, yeah, appreciate that. 
I'll get around to that later. Right now, the world's got this good deal. It's got discount on this sin over here and this vice over here. It's really good stuff. Let me, I'll come back to you in a little bit. I know you're good. I know you ought to be there. There's so many people who would say, I know I need to believe in Jesus. I'll do it before I die. Okay, two things about that. You know when you're going to die? Nobody knows. So how are you going to... That's pretty foolish thinking. The second thing is, why would you put off that blessing? Why would you walk in this world at enemy with God and, and as Titus 3 says, hateful and hating one another? Just why would you continue in that when you can have Christ? When you can have Christ active in your... Right now, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We do the things that would honor Christ. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is the commander. He is the master over all of us. We give thanks, not because, like that Pharisee back in Luke 16 or 18, uh, the Pharisee was praying in the temple and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person. That You know, I do all these wonderful things. Meanwhile, the tax collector, the publican over here, beating his breast, not even willing to lift his eyes to heaven, says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Guess who, which, which one went home justified, Jesus asked. It's not that one who thanked God because of his righteousness, his self-righteousness. It's the one who said, I've got nothing. I look, God, be gracious to me. I, that's my only hope. God, be gracious to me. Save me and deliver me. We've seen thanksgiving, gratefulness, being thankful, giving thanks repeatedly throughout this epistle. We've seen it in the past three verses, 15, 16, and 17. Colossians 3, each one of those mentions being thankful. What is interesting about being thankful is every time we see it in Scripture, it's always being thankful to God the Father, always giving thanks to the Father, always saying, God, you are good. Thank you, God. There's only one instance in the New Testament where where we see giving thanks to Jesus, and that's 1 Timothy 2, 2 and verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has, Paul says, who has strengthened me because he regarded me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. We give thanks to God through Christ. Notice it says, through him. Not because we can you know, you know, boldly enter into God's presence in our own selves. Always we come through Christ. Always our access to the God the Father is through Jesus. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever try to say, you know, there are many routes to God, and you can go any which way you want. And Jesus is an answer for some people, but not everybody. Not everybody needs to believe in Jesus. Even the Jews have a special relationship with God, and they don't need to go through Yeshua. No, false. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are those who believe in Islamism not going to heaven? Well, if they don't believe in Jesus, rightly, according to the scriptures, yes. Roman Catholics, Jews, Protestants, Baptists. If you don't believe rightly about Jesus, that's the issue. Our only access to God the Father is through Christ. Don't look for another way. If that way is sufficient and adequate and really the only way, don't look for else. Don't look for other solutions. He is the Father of Christ. He's the Father of glory. He is our personal Father. We've seen this throughout Ephesians, throughout Colossians here. Just by way of summary, and this is where that handout on the back table will be helpful to you. When we come into questions of, well, how ought we to live? How ought we to decide what to do in this situation? What are some characteristics? What are some things to help us uh, make wise decisions in this world? There's so much complicated about this and, and extenuating circumstances. And I, I could do this over here, but I could also do this, and I could do that elsewhere. Also, this sermon I heard years ago, and it has been so, I repeat, I continually think about it. You can listen to the sermon. It's online I'll, on the on the little handout, this little 
piece of paper, you can see the, the link to that. Listen to it. It's a sermon by John MacArthur titled Making the Hard Decisions Easy, or here, The Ease of Decision-Making. You can realize why it is ease, because each of these things starts with E. I won't belabor the point, because you can have the handout and see it, but just how do you make decisions? Well, is this thing expedient? And as to say, will it profit me spiritually? Not will it make me money, but will it profit me spiritually? Will it build me up? Edification. Excess. Will it slow me down? Or another way to say that is entanglement. Will it slow me down in the race? Hebrews 12 says, cast off all these burdens that slow you down. Uh, will it enslave me? You know, certain things might be good, but oh, will it bring me into bondage? Paul says, all things are fine for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything apart from Christ. What about equivocation? That is to say, justifying yourself or making an excuse. Will this thing cover my sin? Not in the righteous way, but this am I just covering, hiding, concealing my sin from other people by, by doing this particular action? Will this encroach upon the lordship of Christ in my life? Will it somehow displace him as supreme authority in my life? Will this be something that will set a helpful example for others to follow? Do I esteem other people? Do I know I know other people are watching, and not because I'm so wonderful, but just because people look and they see things. Am I laying forth a, a an example that they can follow and should follow before the Lord? Evangelism, will this lead others to Christ? What is the possible evangelistic uh, fruit of this action? Uh, second to last, emulation. Will it be like Christ? You know, the old WWJD, would, what would Jesus do? Is, would this, would Christ do that? What would Christ do in this situation? And finally here, will it glorify God? Does it exalt, does it exalt God? Exaltation. Again, please feel free to take one of these handouts in the back and, uh, and then do these wonderful things. This is life. This is not a, a dreary substitute for what the world offers in terms of its uh, great magnanimity. No, this is life itself in Christ. Don't look anywhere else for life. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the life we have in Christ. Please help us to prosper and please help us to grow. Please help us to do make those decisions that honor you, that do all these different ease that we've just talked about, especially that would glorify you and give praise to you. Please, again, save, sanctify, help us to be your people. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.